Count Me In is about God's heart to save this world that he loves so much. And it's God's heart to bring this, this vision to reality that here, everyone would be loved, everyone would have enough, and everyone would be free. So we end that series this week, but next week we give uh, the first offering towards the Count Me In uh, campaign. It's a campaign unlike any other campaign you've probably ever seen at church. It's not a building campaign. We've done that. We're in the buildings. It's not a capital campaign to get stuff. We have the stuff. This is a campaign that is dedicated. Every single dollar given through Count Me In is dedicated to helping people in need. Every dollar. And these are some of the things that it will fund and fuel. We do a lot of these things already. This campaign is about fueling this forward, doubling and tripling our efforts. We, of course, feed and mentor hundreds of local homeless families, uh, housing the homeless locally through Community Mission of Hope and through our incredible partners, sheltering women and children, supporting teen mothers, rescuing and restoring sex traffic victims, educating Kenyan orphans in a loving boarding school, saving the lives of Filipino children, feeding and caring for children in Ethiopia, mobilizing missionaries to difficult areas of the world, training the next generation and mobilizing them by the hundreds every year locally and globally to serve for a lifetime. A lot of this is in the Count Me In brochure that a lot of you have in the mail. If you don't, they're in the back, but let's get these things done. Let's fuel our efforts towards this goal. Here's the goal of Rancho, that we would give $1 million a year to help people in need locally and globally. We're well on our way towards that goal already. I've been asked a million times, what, what do we do already? And I can't tell you. I'm not going to tell you until later. It's going to be super fun. But we, we are closing the gap towards $1 million a year given away outside of the church to help people in need. I'm in a relationship with upwards of 1,000 churches, and I don't know any church that comes close to, to this kind of vision and our kind of generosity. So what we're asking is that at our 50th anniversary, we get the Count Me In effort started. What we're asking, if you're able, if you could double your monthly giving for the month of September. Don't rob from October. That'll be a disaster. But if you could double your September giving to get the Count Me In effort started to help people in need like never before, that would be great. Again, if you can. God's word says to give what you're able, not under compulsion. Give what you're able. And then from there, make monthly pledges above and beyond your regular offerings through uh, the end of the year 2020. And let's fuel these efforts through the end of 2020. You can give stocks, you know, other kinds of giving as well. Uh, that would certainly help. This is an audacious goal. A million dollars a year given is an audacious goal, but we're not scared. We're not scared. We're not scared because we're motivated. We are motivated as a church to help people in need, to radically shape this city and this region by helping people in need, and to do our part globally, to see to it that the cause of Christ is advanced by helping those in trouble. Now, why are we so compelled to help people in need? Well, the reality is the world is broken. The world is a broken place, and we all know that. We know it because the world is small right now, so we see where people are struggling. We see where, where there is poverty and disease. We see where there is injustice because the world is so connected. So we see very clearly that this world is broken, and we want to do something about it. To show you how broken the world is, I'm going to show you a 28-second video of a four-year-old girl who is experiencing incredibly the tragedy of her first tooth being pulled. And, uh, and I want to show this to you because there's a, a point behind it that I think is you know, kind of fun. Check it out. You're going to brush your teeth after, baby. It's okay. You'll deserve it. Come here. Keep pull it out. Pull it out. What, you want me to? Okay, come here. I'll do it really fast. Why does it hurt? Because it's attached to the gun, baby. I told you. 
Well, but I once you get it out, it's done. Why did Jesus break life so hard? Let me do it. All right, this this is a girl I, I know her kind of third hand, and and she just lives with this worldview, which is awesome. That Jesus is in everything, right? He's in everything, and so even her tooth being full, pulled, she's like, you know, Jesus could make this better, and why does Jesus make it so hard? Now, the reason why we can laugh at the suffering of a four-year-old girl is because we know that this isn't real suffering, right? For those of us who have kids, I've had four of them. My youngest, uh, my oldest daughter now really had the same kind of problem with her teeth being pulled. So I totally get it and completely sympathetic, right? But after a while, in a few years, she's gonna realize the real suffering of this world. She's gonna come face to face with the poverty of the world, the abuse of the world, the disease of the world, the injustice of the world. And her heart is gonna be broken, not for her own pain and suffering, which to her is very real, but she's gonna see the pain and suffering of the world. And, and what we hope will happen with her and what we hope we, happens with us as well is that our heart gets aligned with the heart of God. Our heart gets aligned with the heart of Jesus that breaks for a world that is suffering and then makes the determination to do something about it. Over the past three weeks, and, and we will end our series today, we've been talking about Isaiah 49. This Count Me In series is this vision of Isaiah 49 for a world that is saved. This is God's heart for the, what the world can be. God says, restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances and say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. It's a beautiful poetic vision of a world where everyone is loved, everyone has enough and everyone is free. But the reality is the world is broken. That vision seems pie in the sky. It seems like rainbows and unicorns can never possibly happen because we see the brokenness of the world around us. Now, I want us to take a quiz. It's a 12-question quiz that will test us in terms of how broken uh, we understand the world to be. So if you have a, a piece of paper and pen or pencil, you can pull that out. You're going to take a 12-question, multiple, um, uh, multiple answer, what's it called, multiple choice um, a quiz here. For those of you who don't have a pen and paper, why would you? It's the year 2018. Pull out your phone, open the note app. You're just going to write down 12 letters to answer these 12 multiple choice questions. You ready? See how well you know the brokenness of this world. Now, for those of you who are really good, you can remember your answers. I am not that smart. Question one. Where does the majority of the world's population live? Does the majority of the world's population live in low-income countries, middle-income countries, or high-income countries? Question two. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in poverty has doubled, stayed the same, or has been cut in half in the last 20 years? Question three, what is the average life expectancy of the world today? This isn't just America, this is the world. Is the average life expectancy today in the world 50 years, 60 years, or 70 years? Question four, there are right now 2 billion children in the world. How many children will there be in the world in the year 2100, 82 years from now? 4 billion kids, 3 billion kids, or 2 billion kids? Question five, how did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last 100 years? Has death from natural disasters doubled over the last 100 years, stayed the same, or have been cut in half? Question six, 
How many of the world's children have been vaccinated? 20%, 50%, 80%. Question seven. This is a question about the disparity between men and women. 30-year-old men today have an average of 10 years in school. How many average years in school do 30-year-old women today have? So versus 10 years of education for the men, do women today have nine years of education, six or three years of education? Question eight. How many people in the world have electricity? 20%, 50%, or 80%? Number nine, global life expectancy over the last 100 years is down 20%, stayed relatively the same, or doubled? Question 10. The rate of extreme global poverty, that's $1 a day or less. The rate of extreme global poverty since 1950 has doubled, stayed the same, or has been cut in half. Question 11, since 1950, the percentage of people living in free and open societies has been cut in half, stayed the same, or doubled? Final question, by the year 2100, 82 years from now, global population will be rising, it'll stay the same, or it will be decreasing? All right, we're gonna give you the answers. If anyone answers all 12 right, I am buying you a car. This is the fourth service. Nobody has said they've gotten them all right, all right? So here are the answers. I bet they're gonna surprise you. Number one, the majority of the world lives in middle-income countries. Number two, in the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in poverty has been cut in half. 50% fewer people living in poverty today than 20 years ago. Question three, the average life expectancy throughout the world is now 70 years. There are two billion children in the world today, there will be the same, two billion children in the world in the year 2100. The number of deaths per year from natural disasters has been cut in half over the last 100 years. This is hard to us, for us to believe because every day we look at the news and there's some natural disaster here taking the lives of people, that's a tragedy, but the number of deaths by natural disasters in the last 100 years is cut in half. The world's children vaccinated 80%. Worldwide, men have been educated for 10 years. Women have been educated for nine years. That gap between men and women is thankfully closing rapidly. Number of people throughout the country, world that have electricity, 80% of the world has electricity. Global life expectancy over the last 100 years has doubled. We are living two times more longer now than we did 100 years ago. Question 10. Rate of extreme poverty since 1950 is not just... It hasn't doubled, it hasn't stayed the same, it hasn't even been cut in half. Rates of extreme poverty are down 85% globally in the last 70 years. That's astounding. Since 1950, the percentage of people living in free societies has not been cut in half, it has not stayed the same, it hasn't even doubled, it's quadrupled. Incredible. By the year 2100, global population will be flat. It will no longer be rising. Are you surprised by those answers? If you say yes, you're not alone. If you say no, then I owe you a car. Here is a, here is a reality. The longer you're in church, the more pessimistic you become about the world. That's a law. Why? Because there are certain industries that are fueled by negativity. 
the news media is fueled by negativity, right? I mean, it's not good news news. It is bad news news every minute, every day. So we only see the bad things that are happening in the world. So we think and feel the world is getting worse because that's what we're exposed to is only the bad stuff. Politics is fueled by negativity. You have to call out how bad the world is because you want to get elected if you're not the incumbent party. You're running against somebody, you have to highlight the bad things only, right? News media is fueled by negativity, politics is fueled by negativity, and church is fueled by negativity. For pastors to get people to come, it's got to be the bad world out there. There's a bad world going to hell in a handbasket. You've got to separate from that world and go to church where it's nice and safe and sound and right and moral and pure, right? Like all of us. And all headed toward a great escape. We, we've got to get out of the negativity. And we've got to start putting our heads towards the positive because that's where real life is. Real life is in the good things that God is doing in this world. Now, the other part that draws us to negativity is just brain science. We are wired for survival. And if you're wired for survival, you have to see threats first, right? If we're wired for survival, we can't see the rainbows and unicorns first or we'll all get swallowed up by the tigers, right? Our brains are wired for negativity News, politics, and religion is wired towards negativity. So it is tough to turn that around and to get our heads and our hearts and our minds really thinking about the great things that that are happening in this world. Here's the reality. Eliminating extreme poverty worldwide is within reach. People that are born right now will see in their lifetimes an end to global extreme poverty. That is exciting. Food and fresh water for every man, woman, and child on, on on the earth is within reach. Basic health care for all is within reach. Vaccinating every child on earth is within reach. Basic human rights for all is within reach. Freedom is spreading all over the globe steadily. There was this hopeful Arab Spring about a decade ago. That's now pulled back, and there's a few just desperate leaders out there who are making a mess of their countries, and we know who they are, and the entire world is on their butts to get their act together. It is a global effort to see people free to see people have human rights. Oppression and abuse is being confronted all over the world. From Myanmar to Syria to Venezuela to North Korea, the Catholic Church, it is becoming unacceptable to displace people. It's becoming unacceptable to bomb people indiscriminately. It's becoming unacceptable to oppress people. It's becoming unacceptable to abuse children. And where these things have happened in corners, they're now being brought to the light and the whole world is saying enough is enough. It's an exciting time to be alive. There's a collective global consciousness that is sweeping the world and solving every global problem one by one. People are living longer, freer, healthier, and happier than ever before, and the rate of improvement is increasing. There's a global humanitarianism that is solving the world's problems right before our eyes. It's fun. This begs the question, why are things getting so much better in the world? Why are things getting so much better in the world? I have an answer. I think it's right. Because in this century, the world has finally awakened to God's vision of everyone loved, everyone having enough, and everyone free. The world has been awakened to this incredible vision. There's a lot of reasons why. The church certainly plays a big part in that. Uh, Social media, the connectivity of the global world is exposing where there is darkness and bringing the light of the world and humanitarianism and love to those areas. There's a lot of reasons, but the bottom line is over this last century, the entire world has been awakened to what Jesus said 2,000 years ago and what the prophet Isaiah said 2,800 years ago, that God has a vision, everyone loved, everyone has enough, and everyone free, and the world is getting on board with that. 
Now, some people in the world who are on board with this vision don't know they're working for Jesus. <laughs> it's his vision. He started this whole thing. He started this movement. But they'll find out sooner or later, and that's going to be a great day. But the sad part is when the church has, has excused ourselves from the vision of Christ, and this has happened over the last hundred years in particular, where the church has separated ourselves from the world into holy huddles, thinking the world is getting worse, the world is doomed, God's going to come and nuke the world and get me out of here into my comfortable little church and get me out of here in some great escape. So the church is also coming to the realization that that is not the right way to think, that's not the right way to believe, it's not the right way to live. We've got to be actively engaged in fixing this world that God so loves. That's an exciting place to be. It's an exciting way to live. Here's the reality of what's taking place in this world right now. The paradigm of power and greed. I'm correcting myself since I made this slide. Uh, the paradigm of power and greed is dead. Globally, the paradigm of power and greed is dead. There are few remaining troublemakers creating havoc in their corners of the world. But like I said, the world is on their case, right? That, that global paradigm of power and greed is dead. I will say a hundred or a couple hundred years ago, power and greed were considered to be the highest morality. In fact, it would be considered the, the best thing you could do with your life would be to increase power and increase greed. The best thing that a government could do, especially in ancient times and even you know, colonial times, the best thing a government could do was acquire more land, take more slaves, get more stuff. Power and greed was the global paradigm not too long ago. It's now dead. The global paradigm now is of love and service. This is what the world is after right now, love and service. It's the paradigm that Jesus put to work 2,000 years ago. It's the paradigm that Jesus called as, as his community, his church. He gathers his church. It's not about selfishness and power and greed. It's about love and service to humankind. Jesus started this, and it's taking root 2,000 years later. Now, because it's taking root globally, can we say, hey, work is pretty much done on autopilot, and we'll chill out with, uh, you know, no. The world is still broken. It's less broken than it was 20 years ago, less broken than it was 50, 100 years ago, but the world is still broken and there's still a lot to do. In our own hometown, this Temecula Marietta region, there are hundreds of families at risk of homelessness and our rescue mission, Community Mission of Hope, is in relationship with darn near all of them. We get to know them, we serve them, we feed them, we give them supplies, but, but better than that, we're making friends. And, and we're, we're mentoring and we're guiding and we're caring and we're teaching a few things and they're teaching a few things to us. Locally, there are about 120 people experiencing homelessness. Some of them are transients, but many of them, most of them call Temecula home. And there is a vast partnership of cities and, and nonprofits that are working together to see to it that every single one has the opportunity to take the next step, take the next step. It's brutally difficult for so many of them, but they're taking those steps. Locally, there are thousands of people struggling with loneliness and abuse and addiction and loss and depression and paralyzing guilt. There are people out there really suffering, internally suffering. We want everyone to come to Rancho. We want everyone suffering to come to Rancho, everyone in need to come here because we want to know you and we want to learn from you. We want you to be a part, a vital, vibrant part of this community. Yes, getting some help in time of need, but more than that, building friendships and a community of support. 
Globally, while extreme poverty is on a steep decline, there are still a half a billion people who struggle to find the most basic needs, such as food, clean water, and shelter. That's why we uh, started Plus One Palawano to save the lives of, of children in extreme poverty in the islands of the Philippines. Why we've supported the Breakfast Club in Ethiopia and will fuel that even more. Globally, there are one billion people who do not have basic education. Right now, today, there are 60 million elementary-aged kids who are working in factories and not in school, 60 million. Historically, that's a tiny number, but those are 60 million kids that God loves very much. This is why the Imani School was uh, started. We helped to launch that and continue to support that in, in huge ways, and that will continue. Globally, justice is unavailable for the most vulnerable, the poor, minorities, women, and children who often go voiceless, powerless, and when they are mistreated and, and abused, there is no place for them to go. There is no help. That's why we support groups like Pasi Esperanza in South America. Uh, they rescue children from horrific sexual abuse. They give them a safe and caring home and they mobilize an army of lawyers to go after the perpetrators because in many parts of the world still today, perpetrators against children are not prosecuted. Globally, children, as hard as it is to believe in a community like Temecula, globally, children are still discounted way too much. There has to be justice for these kids. So because Rancho has a vision, this Isaiah 49 vision, to see this salvation come to the earth, we're committed to doing our part locally and globally. Verses like Proverbs 19.17 are, are right there in the forefront of our thinking. This shows the heart of God for the poor. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. I detailed this verse a little bit uh, last week uh, just with this service here, and it's so powerful that God says, I need partners here. He could do it on his own, but it's better to partner with us, right? To walk this narrative of bringing help and salvation to this earth. Whenever we give of time and treasure to help people that are in need, it's as though we're lending to God and God says, I will repay. I won't repay money for money, but I'm gonna repay you with the reward of knowing you are advancing the kingdom of heaven on earth. I'm gonna repay you with the, with the reward that you are building a whole new world where everyone is loved, everyone has enough, and everyone is free. It really is an exciting vision. Now we've talked about Isaiah 49, but let's also keep in mind that when Jesus began his ministry 2000 years ago, he quoted Isaiah 49 to talk about his own ministry. Jesus defined his ministry with the words of Isaiah 49. He says this in Luke chapter four. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's quoting Isaiah 49, the vision that everyone is loved, everyone has enough, and everyone is free. And he's saying, I'm gonna proclaim freedom, but then I'm gonna set the oppressed free, and then there will be the year of the Lord's favor. So there's a, there's a stepping stone here. First, it's the vision proclaimed that, that if you are oppressed, if you are enslaved, if you are, um, if you are outcast, that, that there is an announcement, freedom is coming, but then we're gonna get to work to actually set people free. And then we will experience what the Hebrew scriptures call the year of the Lord's favor, which means we are all experiencing justice. Everyone experiencing justice. Now that word has been stolen by politics. And, and, and I, want to, I want to take the, this word back from politics. Uh, in fact, the next eight minutes or so, we're going to kind of 
just end our time getting into God's heart for justice. And I want us to force ourselves right now to not think in political terms. I do not care right now if you're Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Independent, whatever you are. Forget that right now. We are followers of Jesus Christ on a journey toward the likeness of Christ, advancing the cause of Christ. So we're going to look at his heart and get on board with that regardless of political affiliation. Deal? This service is really good about that. What is justice? Justice is that everyone is treated equally. Not that everyone has the exact same, but everyone is treated equally. Everyone is treated fairly. Peace for all and respect for all. Take politics out of it. You can, you can read a lot of politics in here. You know, what are we talking about? But just take the politics out. Does this sound like a pretty decent world to live in? Everyone is treated equally. Everyone is treated fairly. And everyone gets to experience peace and respect. Does that just sound good? This is biblical justice. This is God's vision of justice in the earth. This is what Jesus quoted in defining his own mission to bring this kind of justice to the world. Now, the reality is... Not everyone is treated equally. Not everyone is treated fairly. People do not live in peace and not everyone is respected. And so what do we do about this? That's the question. What do we do about this? We can talk about it, but we want to do something about it. In order to do something about it, there's some realizations that need to settle deeply in all of us. And it begins with some uncomfortable um, realities. You ready? Here's number one. There are the privileged a lot of people get bent out of shape about this concept, that there are the privileged. So let me just start by saying, I am the privileged. I am a privileged person. Now, I used to resist that because I was getting ready for a political fight, right? If, if I were to admit that I'm the privileged, then I would admit that I'm a bad person and I would admit that I'm an oppressor and no, no, no. But there's, there's good health to admit that I am privileged. Now, I would say most of you in this room are privileged. Not all of you, but most of you in this room are privileged. Here's why I think I'm privileged. I have no oppressors. No one is oppressing me. I have every opportunity this great country affords me. Whatever this country can give me as a, as a, as a man living in this world, I had access to and still do. Um, I've never been poor a day in my life. There is generally, as far as I know, no bias against me. I'm not part of a category, a demographic category where there is bias against me. I am not looked at with stereotypical judgment. As far as I know. Some of you might say, I judge you every week, uh, Pastor, but okay, a different, different, different kind of thing. I am the privileged. That's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But if we resist who we really are, we are privileged people. Look at the community we live in. If you've got stable food, stable water, stable shelter, stable job, a loving family around you, then you are privileged. Now, the, the UN has a definition of privilege, which is fought about as, as everything is, and it, it does have some problems, but the privileged are defined as people with $10,000 of net worth or more. Some of the problems with that is uh, for countries that have a lot of personal debt, there are people who make $150,000 a year who don't have $10,000 of net worth because they're in so much debt. Um, they're still privileged because of their, their life and lifestyle and security. But regardless of the definition, uh, most of us would be able to admit that we're part of the privilege. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no defeat in that. Then there are those who are underprivileged. The underprivileged are those who are typically born into generational poverty. They don't slip into poverty. It's a generational thing. There's systemic issues around them, whether it's educational, geographic. Um, there's just a systemic 
uh, reality around these people that keep them in generational poverty. It could be that they live in high crime areas, uh, low educational values, um, poor schools, those who are judged by how they look, those who have little access to healthcare, those who have little opportunity for education, those are the underprivileged. Now, the privileged are not to look down on any of these folks. In fact, quite the opposite. As I keep mentioning, we have a lot to learn. We need to be a community of equals. In order to become a community of equals, we have got to come to the realization and own boldly who is privileged and who is underprivileged. And just to settle in that, not getting ready for a fight, but being ready to say, as a privileged person, I now have a responsibility to the underprivileged and to the oppressed. The oppressed are those who are abused people. They're abused by people in power. Those who have power are brooding over them under constant threat. These are children who have been abused, women and girl prostitutes under threat, the poor who are paid pennies of the dollar with no, on the dollar with no options, minorities who live in societies where their race and religion place them in permanent poverty and in permanent threat. These are the oppressed. There are hundreds of millions of oppressed people all across the globe. As, as good as this world has become, hundreds of millions are still oppressed. And there are 40,000 slaves today, 40, sla hmm, 40 million slaves in the world today. 40 million people right now are in slavery today, owned by other human beings. They are bought and sold for cheap labor. They are bought and sold for sex. This is the reality. It's a hard reality to look at. Among the hardest realities for many is just to identify where there is privilege and to own that. And not, and not think there's a defeat in that or not to think, well, I'm the bad guy or I'm getting judged because I happen to be a person of privilege, but to own now what can be done using the privilege that I have. Here's some numbers behind this. The percentage of the world's population that is privileged is 29%. 29% of the world is privileged. That is way up from 20, 50, 100 years ago. The privileged have 97% of the wealth and 99% of the power. Now, right now, if you are politically astute, you're probably tense, getting ready for a political fight. Forget the politics. Some of you are saying, if you wouldn't keep bringing up politics, I wouldn't be so uptight. All right. The privileged have 97% of the stuff and 99% of the power. That's just a reality. So what do we do now with this reality? I'm going to put it in a very stark way, and forgive this if this is a little pointed, but I think this is the whole crux of the matter. It's not a bad thing to be privileged, it's not. It is a bad thing for the privileged to do nothing for the underprivileged, to do nothing for the oppressed, and do nothing for the enslaved. That's bad. Simple language, pointed language, but that's what this journey is all about. And, and I've gotta be very real with you as a church. Rancho does this stuff, Rancho is generous, I mean, how we use our budget is generous. 23% of every offering dollar goes outside the walls of the church to help people in need local and globally. We want that to be 30%, 33% and higher. My goal, I've got my retirement date in mind. It's about 20 years from now. In 20 years, I have about three goals in mind for this place. And one of those is that 50% of every offering dollar goes outside the walls of the church to meet the needs locally and globally. We are, as a church, so generous. We are embracing this. We are not a church that's about protecting our privilege and protecting our opinions and protecting our comfort. This church mobilizes by volunteer efforts and by offering efforts 
to help people in need, advancing the cause of Christ in these ways. This is what the Count Me In effort is all about. Now, for many of you, you have the Count Me In brochure. It was mailed to you. I want to encourage you to fill out this pledge card either by paper or online. I'm going to show you uh, the website uh, and exactly how to do this. This is action time, Rancho. We already do so much. As we approach our 50th anniversary next week, we are going to cast a vision for the next 50 years that is going to be fueled by this Count Me In effort. So I want to encourage you. It's action time. Go to uh, the giving page. This is rancho.tv slash giving. Uh, that's the home uh, page of the giving section. Go to Count Me In. And right there is the Count Me In pledge. This is basically the promise um, pledge form. And uh, you'll go to an online pledge form, your name, address, and then what you want to give to the Count Me In effort every month. Uh, please, please, please don't take from your regular offering to go to Count Me In. We will be sunk. This is above and beyond your normal offerings. Once you make your pledge, either on the paper form or the digital form, uh, you go back to the uh, giving page there, and you scroll down to the Temecula campus uh, and hit Temecula Giving. Now, some of you already give online. About 70% of our offerings come online, so this is familiar. That's my account information right there. I'll have to change my password immediately because everybody right now could do a lot of damage. Um, so we log in, and we go to Scheduled Giving. And so our family is going to do a Scheduled Giving for Count Me In today. My wife and I have an appointment today. So choose a fund in Scheduled Giving and go to Count Me In. And we are going to do this monthly. The frequency will be monthly. And how much am I going to give back there? Who's doing that? Okay, Chris, how much am I going to give a month? <laughs> 10000 a month. Oh, boy. All right, my wife's got to get another job. All right. And then pick the installments. We're going to do monthly through the year 2020. So just pick the number of months. You could do the math right there. And then my credit card's already in there. You just press go. And then it's automatic, easy peasy. And we get in a rhythm and habit of giving to fuel these efforts that are so important, so important. We want to encourage you. It's a time of action this week. Next week, we're not going to do campaign. Next week, we're going to take that one offering to kickstart the Count Me In efforts, but it's just going to be a party next week. We're going to have an incredible band, four huge tents, outdoor covered stage. Uh, we're going to have a good time together celebrating our 50th anniversary. Our founding pastor and his whole family is coming from Texas, and we're going to cast a vision going forward. A great family time together, taco stands, free books, free shirts, free kids zone. It's going to be fun, 10 o'clock next week. But that's going to be the kickoff to this Count Me In effort to see to it that there is a world coming that we get to participate in where everyone is loved, everyone has enough, and everyone is free. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you first for your love for us. Your love is, is tangible. It doesn't just come from your heart, a heart of love, but we have seen the love that you give to us by your son, Jesus Christ. He came quoting Isaiah 49. He came envisioning of a world where everyone is loved, everyone has enough, and everyone is free. And then he gave his life for that very cause. And as he pushed against the paradigm of power and greed. Power and greed swallowed him up on the cross, put him to death because he brought a new paradigm of love and service. But love and service rose again from the dead and is now becoming very rapidly the paradigm of this new world that Jesus envisioned. And we get to be a part of it. We get to see the world become better and better, uh, not just by the efforts of others, but our efforts. This church has done so much to help people in need locally, and we are doing our part globally in powerful and profound ways, and we believe in many respects we're just getting started. 
So God, I pray that you would unleash a generosity in this church towards this count me in effort that we would maybe stretch a little, uh, a, a give beyond what we are, are normally giving and, and, and give in a way that will help thousands and thousands of people locally and globally, not just hear about, but experience your grace in their lives. We pray that through our efforts, you would be honored and the cause of Christ would advance. In his name we pray and everybody said, amen.